Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a midweek celebration, greatest day of the entire week. Welcome aboard to another fantastic, outstanding, allegedly broadcast of excellence that's what we try to tell ourselves at least we do our darndest we'll see if we actually accomplish that or not welcome into the program broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in wichita kansas on our flagship radio station we are all over the country multiple radio stations tv live streaming and podcasting however you watch or listen to the show it's always great to have you with for us with the ride today whatever welcome in your millennial general reporting for duty hey no guests today you and i chit in the chat and we have a lot to talk about today because congress is headed back to Washington, D.C. Now, this is what I want to focus on for a moment because everybody else is talking about the indictments of Donald Trump. I did get into an argument on social media with someone today talking about how Donald Trump so deserves it and he needs to go to prison and blah, 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 and I just couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. And apparently, I don't know, man, I'm telling you, we are living in two completely different dimensions, two completely different realities because someone can listen to something and get a completely different interpretation of what's really going on. And I don't know how that happens. I really don't. They tried to make the argument of just listen to the conversation that Donald Trump had with the Secretary of State in Georgia, which I said, yeah, listen to it, because there was nothing incriminating at all during the hearing. Well, you must be listening to a different conversation. I must be, because that's the same side of the aisle that, if you remember, during the COVID-19 pandemic, tried to say that Donald Trump was telling us to drink Clorox and get rid of COVID that way, which he he did not say at all. But again, they are delusional. And I'm not saying a political party line. I'm just saying a pure ideology, a filter of how they're looking at the world, a lens that they look through. And sometimes it scares me of what that lens could potentially show because holy cow, man, I don't know what's going through their brains. We have a lot to talk about today. We will do our health update as we're still doing our weekly salute. We're all going to die because of you. To health. So we'll do that in a little bit. We do not have a guest today. We had a doctor that was lined up. He wasn't able to make it today, so not a big deal. Uh, We do have some guests, uh, some big ones coming up the next couple days to wrap up the week. So we'll do our own health update with our salute. We're all going to die because of you. To health. But first, let's do our What's Trending story of the day. What's trending today? I want to focus on and start off today by... Letting you know, if you're not already aware, that Congress is already beginning to head back up to Washington, D.C. Now, the session begins here again soon for the fall semester, I guess, if you want to call it that, for Washington and for Congress with their big three priorities. And their big three priorities are going to anger you, they're going to frustrate you, and we already kind of know what's going to happen during the segment that we call Andy's Predictions. And the first three priorities include... A federal budget, first and foremost, that's supposed to be done by September 30th, because by October 1st, we're going to have a new fiscal year. Do you think that we're going to get an actual federal budget? Probably not. And we'll talk about that in a second. Priority number two for Congress is Farm Bill 2023. 
Andy, I'm not a farmer. Don't worry. It still affects you. If you want food on your table, if you want food in the actual grocery stores, if you want food at a reasonable price and to help out the farmers that are growing said food, both crops and uh, livestock across the nation, kind of an important bill. Not to mention 80% of that bill actually goes towards the funding of SNAP and the WIC program and other food stamp programs across the nation. We'll talk about that again in just a minute. Number three is renewing, this isn't really as big of a one, but renewing the contract they have with the Federal Aviation Administration, making sure they up to par, which is hilarious. Because, again, we're waiting to the last minute when Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of the Treasury, has seen massive disasters with train wrecks and planes that have been delayed and plane uh, companies, airline companies that have canceled flights and have had backlogs and can't get caught up and don't know what the hell they're doing and haven't invested in their systems. So we have pretty much the house is burning all around us and we're trying to play poker right in the middle of the house, which is what Congress is trying to do right now. All three of these issues will not be done by the appropriate time, which is by the end of the fiscal year 2023, which is at the end of September. In fact, on October 1st, we will probably have, again, Andy's predictions. We will have a short-term spending bill, which is what we always seem to do now, that will fund the government. Remember, this is the process, and this is the way we always seem to work now. We will fund the government until September, or I'm sorry, December. We'll do that short-term funding bill to give us more opportunity, more time to hash out our issues, to figure out our federal budget, and to be able to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and move forward in the proper direction. And we know that's not actually going to happen, because what we know is going to happen, they'll pass the short-term spending plan to give us, quote-unquote, more time that gets us through the end of the year in December. Then in December, that way we don't uh, default, or that way we don't have some type of government shutdown, and we avoid the government shutdown in the nation. Because remember, that is the most important thing. That is the scariest thing that we'll ever have to deal with in our lifetime ever, ever, is having the government not be there to take care of us for a single day or a couple of days or even a week or a month, heaven forbid. We'll get into December. We still won't have a bill. And then it will be the Fast and Furious Democrats saying we have to pass this or else you're stalling it. You're causing debt ceilings to, to, to be capped. You're causing the credit score to be killed. You're causing this issue. You're causing that issue. You're causing X, Y, and Z. That's what they're going to tell us. And, of course, by December, we'll end up passing a bill that will be an omnibus package. It will not be the actual federal budget with the 12 appropriations bills. It will not be cutting spending. It will not be capping the budget. It will not be balancing the budget. It will not be anything, and we will go through an entire headache and we'll probably lose a whole bunch more hair as Republicans and conservatives as we continue to pull it out frustrated with the entire process. We know this is going to happen. This is nothing new, and it's another round of this all over again. The media is already starting it up by blaming Republicans for uh, blocking a potential quote-unquote common-sense bill as NBC News was live in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill with congressmen and women returning to discuss the budget, which is going to be the number one priority and how Republicans are already balking at the conversation. They have to pass a new farm bill and they have to reauthorize the FAA. Now, the one that's generating a lot of fear at the moment is the government funding issue, specifically because the House and the Senate, the House run by Republicans, the Senate run by Democrats, are operating on two very different paths. House Republicans are moving forward with appropriations legislation that funds the government at a lower level than the budget caps agreed oh, no. to in that recent debt limit law that passed in June. There are a lot of ultra-conservatives who are not happy with that agreement, and they're pushing for passing a, a government funding bill at a lower level. Oh, my. Did you hear that? 
Did you hear the panic in their voice? The number one concern is the spending bill where Republicans are proposing a budget lower than the cap that they passed back in June. Now, if you remember back in June, it was a massive headache for us because we ran out of money. The Treasury said that they were using, quote unquote, extraordinary measures in order to try and cut funding and pay for the debts that we have and just pay our bills. And we're out of money. And June was the deadline. And we thought, hey, here's an opportunity. We can cut some of that spending. We can reappropriate the money. We don't have to increase spending at all. We can just reappropriate a few things like, I don't know, a lot of the COVID-19 relief funding that still hasn't been spent over the last three years. We can actually appropriate that to our bills. We can balance a few things, get things under control a little bit, and then just work our way through the last three months of the fiscal year until October hits. And that was the plan. Then it was Kevin McCarthy, well, we can kind of do that. We can maybe trim a little bit off the top here to say that we've done some budget cuts. Then we can just raise it a little bit. We can match what we need to and move forward just to get us through again until the end of the fiscal year where we can have an actual federal budget moving forward. Well, that kind of turned into that to Joe Biden saying, I don't negotiate with terrorists and you being wanting to cut spending and actually balance our budget is a terrorist act in the nation, and therefore we will not negotiate in any way, shape, or form. And what we ended up with with increasing our debt by $4 trillion on top of what we have already spent, on top of just trying to extend and expand our regular budget into the year with a $4 trillion expansion for the next two years. So remember, we already expanded it more than what it should have been. $4 trillion, that's $2 trillion per year for the next two years. $4 trillion total. Conservatives now as we go into a budget year again, are like, hold on a second. We already had a budget that was at record levels. Then we increased it another $4 trillion for a cap. Maybe we shouldn't spend all of that money. I mean, the best way to look at that is, you know, you get a credit card. You get a $10,000 credit card, for example, $20,000 credit card. In your $20,000 credit card, do you just say, oh, you know what? I have $20,000 line of credit. We're going to cap that baby out. We are going to max that thing to the limit. It's not what you do. Or you're like, well, I have $20,000 credit card. I'm going to use it for a few things, but I'm not going to get anywhere near that. I'm going to keep it as low as possible. No, no. The Democrats, according to that, that was the news media. That was NBC media right there saying, hey, wait a second. Republicans don't want to cap out that new $4 trillion increase in the debt ceiling that we allowed. What the hell's wrong with them? How dare they not want to spend every single penny possible to the point to where when we come up to the short-term funding, then we're like, oh, we're out of money again. Guess we better raise the debt ceiling. They have to pass a new farm bill, and they have to reauthorize the FAA. Now, the one that's generating a lot of fear at the moment is the government funding issue, specifically because the House and the Senate, the House run by Republicans, the Senate run by Democrats, are operating on two very different paths. House Republicans are moving forward with appropriations legislation that funds the government at a lower level than the budget cap agreed to in that recent debt limit law that passed in June. There are a lot of How could they? How could they do that? They are proposing a budget that doesn't cap out all of the potential spending that we have in this nation. How could they even consider something like that? In fact, 21 House Representatives members led by Chip Roy saying that they have sent a letter to Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy on Monday this week threatening to vote against the government funding legislation unless it meets a series of demands as they are concerned about the potential spending. Chip Roy releasing a statement saying, quote, we have major disagreements with both how and what occurred with respect to the debt ceiling increase. So now we're trying to put the band back together again. The frustration continues just when we think, wow, 
We failed. We cowered. We caved. We gave up. We gave in like every other single time the Republicans have ever discussed budgetary issues. Now, remember again, too, this has been the priority. And I say that in air quotes for our radio listeners, the priority for the Republican Party for years. After the late 80s, early 90s, into the 2000s, when many were like, hey, conservatives don't talk about social issues, focus on economic issues. All right, we'll focus on economic issues. The economic issues have led to, well, we're going to cave every single time because we're scared of our own shadow. We're scared of Democrats telling us, well, if you don't spend here, if you don't pass this bill, then we'll shut down the government. People will die in the streets, and it's all going to be your fault. Now we've gotten to the point we never even pass a federal budget. We pass this omnibus package, we do short-term spending packages, we cap out the debt ceiling every single time, and then we wonder why we don't just willy-nilly raise the debt ceiling or just remove a debt ceiling altogether and let the government spend as much as they possibly want without restriction in any way, shape, or form. And now that we've increased our credit line again on our credit card for the umpteenth time with another $4 trillion above what we've ever spent in the existence of this nation... The fear, meaning using the words from NBC News right now, the fear in D.C. is conservatives not wanting to max that out completely. As 21 Republicans, it should be the entire 220, 224, whatever Republican members are on the House. But instead, it's 21 Republicans saying either we do some restrictions and actually cut some of this budget and not cap out the entire budget with the included $4 trillion spending increase. Or we'll sabotage the bill and we won't vote for it. Led by a few conservatives run by Chip Roy. Where are the rest of the Republicans? Where are the less the rest of the quote-unquote conservatives that are fighting, making the economy the focal point of their campaigns and their political this history? It's the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, darn right, it is 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome into it. Radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However, you check out the show, we always love you to death. We have three priorities right now. The farm bill is going to be no different either. We'll talk to some of the legislators that are dealing with the farm bill and get them on the show here relatively soon because, again, that's important for you with, I don't know, price of food and for the farmers trying to survive and with the ongoing food shortage globally with the conflict with Russia and the Ukraine that's still ongoing, which, by the way, we've sent over $100 billion to Ukraine. We also see (laughs) Joe Biden saying that we're going to send $700 relief checks to those in Hawaii after the fires that happen down there so hey congratulations you get a 700 check a one-time stimulus payment but we're going to send 100 billion dollars over to the country of ukraine which i think someone broke it down based on the population size in the ukraine and that equates to like three thousand dollars per resident in the entire country of ukraine and we're sending 700 checks to those down in maui saying hey sorry about your house being blown up from a fire that we probably started anyways too so uh, not saying that that's really happening or not but you know hey Let's put on that conspiratorial hat for just a second, shall we? Not taking care of our own. Then we have the budget bill right now where that's all they care about. Well, we need these social programs. We need this. We need the mandatory spending category that can never be touched. And if you even try to slow the growth of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, WIC, 
all these other food stamp programs, all these other great social programs. If you even try to not just cut them, but actually slow the growth, you're literally killing people on the streets. The hypocrisy, the two-timing, back and forth, talking to, out of two sides of their mouth from the Democrats going on right now. And the Democrats, Chuck Schumer was on, was it NBC? And I'm not going to play the audio because it's god-awful and I can't stand listening to his voice and he just irritates me beyond belief. But he's out there talking about how great, again, the economy is, how the Inflation Reduction Act has actually reduced inflation, which, thanks, we went from 7% to 3% and a 15% overall over the past three years. Appreciate that. So glad you were able to take care of us. And they continue to tell how wonderful things are going right now. The reason we have more job growth is because people need to get their second and third job just to pay for their bills. While government can't do their damn job by actually passing a budget with the 12 appropriations bills. And it's frustrating. And hopefully we can get it through. But again, we have a Republican House, a Democrat Senate. My question is, why are only 21 Republicans run by Chip Roy sending a letter to Kevin McCarthy that they would vote against this budget bill if it doesn't meet a series of demands when the deadline's coming up in, oh, I don't know, a month and two weeks? As according to NBC News, Republicans led by Scott Perry and Chip Roy insist that Congress spends less than the levels agreed to in the bipartisan debt limit law. Let me ask you something. Again, if you increase a credit card limit to $10,000 to $20,000, do you have to cap that out? Or is it just available to you in case of an emergency? Oh, I have $10,000 extra. Let's find what something I need to spend it on because I can't have that lingering. I can't have money just sitting in the bank. We have to spend it. According to them, quote, we plan to vote against any appropriations bill designed to achieve that approximately $1.586 trillion top line spending level roughly equal to the spending caps agreed to with President Biden at the debt ceiling deal and representing a mere 1% reduction from the Democrats' post-COVID spending levels. Can you imagine that? Less than 1%. We massively increased our debt by close to $2 trillion in a year with the COVID-19 relief funding that we did. And now, and that was supposed to be just a one-time spending thing on top of what our normal budget was. We increased the debt by $2 trillion. And remember Joe Biden, again, it's hard. This is politics. We have a very short time memory span. It's hard to go back and remember certain things, especially for the media and for Democrats. I understand. We're trying to refresh your brain here just a little bit. Get those cobwebs out. Remember, that $2 trillion for COVID-19 relief funding was a one-time hit. And then when it went away, Joe Biden's like, look. We lowered the debt in the nation. Look at that. We lowered the deficit. Now, our regular spending will be less than a 1% deduction of what that was during the height of a massive nationwide shutdown with bailouts across the board and COVID-19 spending. That's crazy scary. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Halfway through the show already. Oh, how it flies right on by. Let's just carpe diem all over this place, baby. It's what it's all about. I don't want to bore you with a lot of budgetary talks and economic talks throughout the entire program today, so we won't cover a whole, this a whole lot more. But just be aware, we already know what's going to happen here during Andy's predictions. 
we already know exactly how this is going to play out. We know the bickering that's going to happen. We need to cap spending. We need to try and cut it a little bit. And now our regular spending levels, our normal regular spending levels are going to be roughly 1% within the margin of what we did when we did a one-time massive stimulus paycheck during the COVID-19 pandemic, raising the debt deficit by a single $2 trillion in a single year. Yeah, we're doing that on a normal basis now. We raised the, the whole debt ceiling thing that we had back in June, raised it $4 trillion for two years, so $2 trillion a year. So after cutting it and Joe Biden being like, oh, yeah, we totally cut the deficit under the Biden administration because we just didn't spend the one-time payment like we did the year prior for the last year of Trump and into the first part of the Biden administration. We didn't do that, so therefore our deficit's gone down. Now that's going to be our normal operating expense level. And if that doesn't scare the crap out of you, man, I don't know what else will. So be aware of that. It's all about the personal interest, though. It really is about the personal interest and what priorities that many politicians have, what their pet projects are. For example, and again, won't spend a whole lot of time on this right now, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our favorite person to pick on on this program. I am told this is a garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah, uh, that individual. She has been, there's a new study now, again, you know us on the program, I mean, we poke fun at certain people, but we're fair about our criticism, are we not? At least I try to be, I try to be fair about our criticism and praise of both sides of the aisle when they do good or when they do bad. And even our own side, if they do something really dumb, we're going to call them out on something like that as well. And AOC, as much as I love to pick on her because she's about the dullest crayon in the entire box, at the same time, it needs to be merited, not just for something ridiculous. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been one of the biggest advocates in Washington, D.C. for the student loan forgiveness program, as she's obviously of my generation, probably has a lot of student loans. In fact, she has roughly $50,000 of student loans. Oh, it's same as me. She's making a heck of a lot more money than I am, though, just to put that one out there. But she's been the big, biggest advocate for the student loan forgiveness program. Uh, there's a new study from Breitbart that released this story, at least, showing that she had obviously some skin in the game and a personal interest in the student loan forgiveness because she had her $50,000 of loans that she was hoping would just get washed away. Poof. Now, I will say that, okay, usually when you advocate for an agenda in Washington, D.C., or even in your state legislature, or even in your county commission, or even in your city council, if you're advocating for a certain agenda, then you're probably doing it because you have a skin in the game, you understand the issue, and you're wanting to do something about that. And I'm not going to criticize her on that front, saying that she has student loans, therefore she has a personal interest in wanting to uh, remove them. Uh, she's going about it the wrong way, obviously, because she took out the loan. She should be paying them back. I'm not saying that. I am saying I'm not taking anything away from her because, well, she has student loans and wants to do this because she's, you know, per, part of the system. Yeah, oh, duh. Okay. We don't need to go down that road of criticism. What I will say, however, is that if you're making a lot of money being an elected politician, which you're not supposed to be making a whole lot, but she is making a decent amount, and granted she hasn't been in Washington, D.C. as long as Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, some of these other hacks that are multimillionaires from being in Washington, D.C. for years on end, she hasn't made as many connections or has partnered and, and uh, laid down in the bed with certain many special interests. And I'm not saying that physically. Don't be like, oh, you're saying, no, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that many of them get into bed, metaphorically speaking, 
with special interests in order to advocate for a certain agenda, making them lots of buku money on the side, which is why they walk out of Washington, D.C. as a public servant, as a multimillionaire, like Elizabeth Warren, like Nancy Pelosi, like Chuck Schumer, like Mitch McConnell, like so many others. Joe Biden, for example, prime example. She hasn't had the chance to do that yet. She does, however, according to what I could find online, have a net value of near $200,000. Now, some say that she's a multimillionaire. The rumor was that she sh- she did sign a deal with Netflix for a documentary that's going to pay her near $10 million. So that's a possibility. And if that's the case, then there's no excuse whatsoever. But let's just use the low number of those that are like, that's not true, Andy. And then we look at the number that they're giving us, which is $200,000. If you're making $200,000, if I were making $200,000 and I had $50,000 in student loan debt, would that not be the first priority to pay those off? I mean, this goes from let's wait for the government to take care of us, which is the mentality she has, to wow, I can now responsibly take care of myself. And granted, again, in her defense as the fair and balanced program that we are, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made the news when she first got elected into Congress that she didn't have enough money to get an apartment in Washington, D.C. because she was a broke bartender and could not afford an apartment in Washington because that was really, really expensive. And she had to wait for her first government paycheck in order to get said apartment. You know what? Understand, if I got elected right now, I would be in the same boat. I would not be able to afford an apartment in Washington, D.C. right now until I got my first couple of paychecks to get things under control. But now that you're making $200,000, and I'm sure many of much of that is going towards rent in two different cities with New York or the Bronx and Washington, D.C., you may not have a lot of that left, but it is still your responsibility to pay off your own student loans. And as someone who now needs to transition the conversation from government, please take care of me, so I'm going to advocate for student loan forgiveness to, well, I can now do that so I will pay, I can still advocate for it, but I'm going to pay off my student loans because I have the money to do so. You would think that would be the fiscally and financially responsible thing to do. So now we're bleeding into the I'm helpless and poorless and can't afford to pay my student loans to, well, now I can, I just choose not to because the government needs to be doing it for me. And that's an entirely different type of conversation. Speaking of different types of conversations. What's trending today? Let's shift gears just a little bit and get away from the economic issue. And I want to tease you because we are doing our weekly salute this week. We're all going to die because of you. To health. And as we (laughs) as we do our salute to health, I want to ask you about what your definition is of masculinity. It's an interesting conversation, especially in a time when there are men who don't like masculinity, who go to the masculinity confession booths and try to go to or uh, pretend to be a female because they have so little masculinity left in society. And then we have women who try to boost up that masculinity a little bit and try to be a man. There is the latest numbers out of the Barbie movie. Yeah. 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 The Barbie movie has apparently topped The Dark Knight as the biggest Warner Brothers movie in North America ever, ever, hitting $6.1 million on a single day on Tuesday this week, with the domestic total hitting $537.4 million, topping the 2008 masterpiece that was The Dark Knight, if you remember that one, Heath Ledger as the Joker, uh, topping $536 million 
at that point. Barbie has now surpassed that one, making the largest Warner Brothers movie ever made coming in in North America, also hitting $1.2 billion for the worldwide box office as of Tuesday of this week. Now, that being said, for those that may have watched Barbie, and again, I have, unfortunately, because I did not realize this was a PG-13 adult movie, you would think a Barbie movie would be for, I don't know, little girls that play with Barbie. What a wild concept to think that that would be what this movie's about, but it's not. And I'm so glad that Little Voice of Reason did not understand half of the jokes and humor and messages in that movie because it was terrible and I regret taking my daughter to it and it's absolutely sickening. And it really does emphasize what what Rush Limbaugh used to call the feminazis, the feminists who are so not just pro-women but anti-man to the point of being able to teach young impressionable girls who watch that movie how to manipulate boys by pretending to like them and then pretending to like another guy just to get them to fight so that way they can have the control and power over them and they can dominate society while the men, these stupid Bart and Homer Simpson type men, continue to bicker amongst each other and live in a feminine dominated society. I just summed up the entire movie for you right there. That's what that movie's about. But it makes sense and a light bulb kicked on for me after I saw the box office numbers here. And I see this attack on masculinity in society. And then I also see the number of suicide rates that are predominantly from men, from middle-aged white males, or the number one leading demographic for suicide rates across the nation right now, a light bulb clicked on for me. I realize there's a reason why we're seeing an attack on masculinity. I see so many quote-unquote beta males in society. The light bulb kicked on for me. It's because of this mentality where men are being tired of being manipulated and that women are learning on how to control men, which they've been able to control men forever. I tell you right now, I am the man of my house. I make my house decisions. I lay down the law in my house. I dictate what goes on in my house and in my realm when I get home every single day as that man, as long as my wife allows me to do so. See, and I've, <laughs> I've learned that very often. I've learned it quick. And I've learned it often. Happy wife, happy life. And we continue to dominate that household as long as the wife allows us to do so. That being said, <laughs> that being said, it makes sense why we're seeing so many quote unquote feminine men in society. Is because now we can just be a female and then we can have all the power. I mean, why not? <laughs> right? We can just pretend that we're a female. We can transition ourselves and therefore we can have the power like every other female in society. And I guess that's why, <laughs> do you think that's why we're seeing so many transition like that? I, I'm tired of having all the responsibility of being a guy. Can I just be a chick now? And that way we can have that responsibility and control and dominate society like all these radical feminists who hate uh, men. At the same time, you would think that women, the radical feminists, would be angry of men to, trying to do that and pretend to be women to get that power when they're all about controlling men. It's a weird world we come into. But when we come back... We'll talk about that definition of masculinity and is the definition of masculinity changing in society and is it changing for the better? Interesting conversation. One more right around the corner. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Last couple of minutes here on the program. Welcome back into it. The definition of masculinity to you. What is that definition of masculinity? As we see the anti-masculine society we're moving forward with, the masculinity confession booths that we see for the younger generation, the beta males, I will say I cried a little bit. I was watching a video on YouTube a couple of, a week or so ago, and it was the reaction of the younger generation, Gen Z, I believe, uh, whoever's in like high school now. I was watching them react to 90s rock and roll and metal songs and things from like Slipknot to other awesome, great, great 90s metal bands. And they were doing reactions to them. Every single one of them. Now, again, this is a very select few. There's like six kids that were on here. Every single boy that was on there was extremely feminine, extremely. Now, I'm not saying like part of the LGBTQ, but I don't know. But they were not masculine in any way, shape or form. In high school in the 90s and in the 2000s, and I was not in high school in the 90s. I was in uh, elementary and middle school in the 90s. But I remember those high schoolers in the 90s. I was in, obviously, high school and graduated in the early 2000s. And I remember those times there was a very masculine mindset for the men, especially for the rockers, the ones that uh, were out there going to Slipknot concerts, going to great ones, you know, that had the tattoos that were into the mosh pits, having a great time, uh, showing off that testosterone. To me, the alpha male, and this is my personal view of what masculinity is, the alpha male of not necessarily the having to smoke cigars, but it's the, you know, masculine things, attracting a female, the protection mindset, the muscle mindset, the strength mindset, the bigger, better, faster, stronger. What does the future look like? We always said that was that actually that was painted on our gym in high school when I was football training was bigger, better, faster, stronger. And that's really what society was all about. And that's what the masculinity thing was about. Bigger, bigger, better, faster, stronger. You had to compete. It was about trying to make it bigger, better, faster, and stronger. It was about that protection. Now, you also wanted that sensitive side to connect, obviously, with a female, to start the family, to try to attract them, to show your emotional side. Everybody remember that TV show, Home Improvement? You know, he had, you know, Tim, Tim, the tool man, Taylor, he was masculine, but yet he also showed that soft side with the family and with the wife that that caretaking mindset. To me, that's what masculinity is. And masculinity is going to the wayside because apparently nowadays that's the ultra masculinity we have to uh, apologize for. And we have to bring that back because getting rid of that is literally driving the middle aged man into suicide rates between the stress, the family stress the work stress, the financial stress, and then saying that you're evil on top of it because of just the mindset of who you are built into your DNA is very interesting. There's also another piece, and I don't have a lot of time to read a whole lot of this, but uh, of men now that are going into breathwork meditation centers, and as we do our salute to health, we continue to talk about ways to heal yourself and whether it is your time in prayer, your time in silence, your time in meditation, doing breath meditations, which I I will admit I absolutely love them. I do breath work almost daily, and it's absolutely fantastic and amazing. Uh, doing deep breaths in, deep breaths out, setting intentions on what you want to do, setting your vision of what you're going to accomplish for the day or what your goals are for the long term, whatever it may be, calming the mind just a little bit, and then being able to, according to what that article said, I don't go this far. They take it a little bit further than what I do, but they take it into being able to release those emotions through the crying and the therapy and so on and so forth. I don't do that. I was always taught, and again, this is not healthy. I'm not recommending this as a healthy male. <laughs> Just to be very, this is the warning from the voice of reason. Your disclaimer here. 
but they say to release your emotions, and you're supposed to release your emotions. I do remember I was taught, as so many others out there, that men don't cry. And you're not supposed to cry. You just suck it in, toughen up, get her done. And it took me a long time to actually express emotion. I don't cry very often. I think the last time I teared up was, well, a few months ago when my grandfather passed away because I was extremely close with him. And I did tear up and cry during that. I, outside of that, I think the last time I cried before that was when I was watching 24 and Jack Bauer got sent to a Russian prison to end his entire life. And that was the end of the TV show. I did cry a little bit during that because you cannot end Jack Bauer on that note. How dare you, you pinko commies? <laughs> Ending the story of Jack Bauer in that sense. But I am encouraging men, while we continue to hold on to and expand our masculinity... To continue to hold on to the alpha male mindset, it is okay to sit and pray in silence, to bring the silence and calm the mind, to meditate, to do breath work, to show that softer side, and yet still hold on to that bigger, better, faster, stronger mindset to dominate in society and continue to allow society to grow and flourish because of what men do. And that, by the way, is not taking away from women in any way, shape, or form because you know feminists out there... The Barbie watchers out there are going to say that that's anti-feminine, anti-women, and it's not because that's a really stupid mindset. That does it for us today. Back at it again tomorrow for a Thursday. Until then, we'll see you on the radio.